We're involved and have been now, I guess this is week or sermon number 12, a dozen sermons already, in Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And I want to invite you to take a Bible and turn there with me to the third chapter now. We have come to the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the Colossians. This morning we're going to consider just the first four verses of this third chapter. I'm reading from what is called the New American Standard Translation, very literal translation out of the Greek of the New Testament. You follow along in whatever good English Bible you've brought with you this morning. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Wow. That's the modern day equivalent of amen, right? What truth packed into these four verses? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us out of death and darkness into new life and light through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have given us indestructible hope and told us of the glory that awaits us when we see Christ. Thank you for that blessed assurance that gives us even now visions of rapture, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. May we be found watching, waiting, and looking above where Christ is now making all things ready. For the consummation of our great salvation, we ask in his all-conquering name, amen and amen. For some time now, our church has utilized the services of a dear couple who come once a week to clean our facilities. They do a very fine job at a cost which is, frankly, very minimal to us. Laszlo and Andrea are from Hungary. and They're working hard to make a life for themselves and their two very precious children. Over time, I can tell you that their English has improved and they do seem to appreciate the abundance of things available to them here in America. Last uh, week it was when Andrea appeared at church to clean the building, uh, the whole buildings, by herself. And I was here finishing up some of my own work. She indicated to me with some deep emotion that Laszlo had gone back to Hungary just for a visit to visit his son and 
daughter-in-law and to meet for the first time a new grandson. Now, Laszlo and Andrea had just had recently another child of their own, but Laszlo went over to greet a new grandson. As she was sharing this, I could see in Andrea's expression that she was picturing it all in her mind. She was seeing the places and the loved ones that, for her, was home. She was thrilled for her husband, I think, on the one hand. They could not both afford to go. But she was thinking, I'm sure, of her own family and all the things that make, for any one of us, home, sweet home. After a moment or two, she went off to her duties, walking down the long hallway of our fellowship hall. But I could still sense that her true heart, her warmest thoughts, were many hundreds of miles away across the sea in the homeland, which for them was Hungary. That little vignette came back to me when I opened to today's text and found the admonition here of the Apostle Paul that we, while bound to this present earth's duties and responsibilities, should be seeking the things above so that our true heart and our warmest thoughts should be of Christ, he says, seated already at the right hand of God. You know, I know my Hungarian friend Laszlo well enough to tell you this, that even as he was rejoicing in the presence of his son and his new grandson, that his true heart and warmest thoughts were reaching all the way across the Atlantic to his dear Andrea and to the two beautiful children here. But think of this. Did you know that Christ in a certain sense, lives with a sense of expectation of your coming to where he is. That as glorious as it must be to sit next to his own father's throne, he had already prayed before going there, prayed specifically for you and for me, prayed that we too would come to where he was going and indeed did go. John records Jesus' words this way. Listen to him. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then he defines eternal life. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus goes on in his prayer and he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. But now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's saying, I'm ready Father, to come home. But the prayer doesn't end there. The very next words of Jesus in intercession are these. Father, I desire 
that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that, dear child of God? Before we consider what Paul means here in Colossians 3, that you and I should be seeking things above where Christ is, I want you to pause and appreciate the fact that Christ, from His perspective, has set His mind on people below, you and me. And He has expressed His true heart and His warmest thoughts in conversation with His Father. And it's about us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. For me personally, Jesus is looking forward to my coming to where he is. And of course, the prayer of Jesus will be answered. All of his prayers for us are both fervent and 100% effectual. So Paul can say to the Colossian believer and to us the blessed assurance of verse 4, which we've read together. I want to reread. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. This is a direct reference to his coming again in glory. To receive us to himself. Then you also, says Paul, will be revealed with him in glory. That's what Christ spilled his blood to make possible. And it is the one reward of his sacrifice that the Father is pleased to give him. Did you ever think of it that way? Look what Jesus had to endure on the cross. We read elsewhere that he endured it because of the joy that was set before him. For the reward that would be his for such suffering and death. And that reward, believe it or not, some prize we are, I suppose, but it's us. That we would be in his presence, beholding his glory forever. Now, in the bright light of that future glory, does it seem like it's too impractical, that it's too ethereal, or that it may simply be too mystical, too pie in the sky for the apostle to tell us in the here and the now that we need to actively engage every day of our redeemed lives in seeking those things above. Where Jesus, by the way, really is. Is it too much to ask in view of that ultimate reality that we would develop a mindset? He says, set your mind. A mindset that is fixed on our future. What a wonderful option for us, especially in difficult times. 
that we would be told with this apostolic uh, authority of Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's an alternative way to live. Rather than being obsessed, distressed, and fixated on the pains, even the pleasures of this passing scene, the here and now needs to get much smaller while the there and then become the realm of our present and passing moments in time. Every trial, every loss, every pain, every tear to be seen as just another advance toward the true home, sweet home experience of the soul. The Southern Gospel songwriter, one of my favorites, is Squire Parsons. He wrote a song, Beulah Land. And he began it with these words. He said, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. Beulah Land. I am longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand where my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been. You know, folks, that Hebrew word Beulah means literally married. And it is meant to foreshadow Christ awaiting the bride, his glorious church, where even now the believer has his or her heart and mind fixed on things above. I have a dear niece in New Jersey, and it's almost the end of October, moving into November, and she has a December 6th wedding date set. Where do you think she's living mostly her October, her November? If not looking forward. And that's the believer's call as well. The believer has his or her heart and mind fixed on things above. Just waiting to hear the Savior say, Come away, my beloved. Things have been made ready. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a table with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wait till you see what I have prepared for you. Now, I want to confess to you, I know that in my life that the reality of things above is not something that grabs and holds my attention as much or as consistently as it should. I confess that. This present, fallen, wicked world looms rather large. And I find that it can cast a pretty long gray shadow my sins depress me and the shadows grow even deeper. We fret 
we stew, we finagle, we rearrange, we plot, and too often stress out and tend to collapse under the tyranny of urgent, here and now, pressing needs. Some of them are real. Most of them are imagined. But you see, that's precisely why I need Philippians 3, 1 through 4. It's why you and I need all that God has given to us in His Spirit-wrought Word in order to get ourselves continually, constantly reoriented to the eternal perspective. Among other good reasons, like worship and fellowship, you come to the Lord's house, I trust, at least once a week, the first day of the week, to come into this place apart from the world. It's why we call it a sanctuary. We are here only a little time, but the purpose, among other purposes, is to get ourselves reoriented to this eternal perspective. A pastor hears lots of things and witnesses a lot of things in the lives of people. When someone told me this week that their trials just seem to have compounded, and they have, and no answer to their prayers have come just yet. When they tell me that they are in pain and that the pain is relentless, that the nights have been sleepless and the days too long, when God's sovereign purpose is hidden and known only to Him, and when faith begins to shake a bit and parts of it crumble into doubt, I must tell you frankly, at certain times, I can think of nothing to say that could begin to ease the burden of life for that suffering saint Except, except, perhaps, a truth. A truth that can begin to bend their thoughts away from the things that are on earth to the things that are in heaven. That, beloved, is true comfort for real problems. I want to tell you, and for some of you, perhaps this is preparation. There are some, and there will continue to be, some Job-like cases when one must endure the suffering and have no other alternative than to fix their minds on the text before us and others like it. Like Romans 8.18. A text that was on my lips just last evening to a man who is in the very last days of his life here on earth. And I read the words. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The only antidote 
to the here and the now in some cases, no, I will say in all cases, is to reorient the focus to the there and the then. (laughs) If God's word does indeed hold out these options to us, let's not be so foolish as to choose a here and now over the more certain there and then. My friends, we are not to wait for some overwhelming trial to think like that. Paul says here in Colossians 3, 1, that we are to keep seeking the things above. The particular Greek tense here is strong. Uh, If I were to contemporize it and be more literal, it might be underscored this way. Keep on keeping on keeping on thinking about things eternal with an added emphasis in the Greek. And do it now. And do it every day, he would say. 24-7, day by day, until Jesus comes. Until you hear the wedding music. Pastor teacher John MacArthur says this, and I quote, The believer's whole disposition should orient itself toward heaven. Just as a compass needle orients itself always toward which direction, folks? The north. And I don't mean New Jersey. The north. I suppose that it is incumbent upon me at some point in this message to say of our text that it is not for a moment suggesting that you and I are in any danger of becoming so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly good. Frankly, I'm always a bit suspect when I hear a professing believer say, well, pastor, we can't just get so heavenly minded that we become of no earthly good. Let me tell you something. Being too heavenly minded is not our problem in this day. It is not our problem. And the truth is, it takes a heavenly minded believer with a heart focused on the there and then to actually do any good for the glory of God in the here and the now. So I say, may God give us more Christians whose heads and hearts are already there and heaven bent. In their mindset. Besides this vision of rapture, that's what Paul's calling for. Keep seeking the things above. It's where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. It made me think of Fanny Crosby's hymn, which we sang this morning. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. We get lost more than once. We stop journeying north and we take out our Bibles. And as Dr. MacArthur says, we find it an accurate compass. And when we're there and we hear again and we get reoriented and we walk in the light as he is in the light, we find we're pointed north. We're pointed north. 
besides this vision of rapture before our eyes, we find it is loaded with present blessing, outrageous benefits. While waiting for the return of Jesus, consider this life-coping, fearless approach we can take to whatever comes our way. Look at verse 3, where once again, the Apostle roots all of our security in our actual and real spiritual union with the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. After verse 1, where he says we have been raised up with Christ, that's our new life, in verse 3, he backtracks for a moment and says, he reminds us that the new life means that the old life has died. (laughs) That we have died to the old life. You have died. Then comes the news, nevertheless we live. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that old hymn that Havergal penned, Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Some of the lyrics go this way, Hidden in the hollow of His blessed hand, Never a foe can follow, Never a traitor stand, Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. I used to have the sweetest little dog. And I still miss her. We called her Libby. That was a short version for the word liberty because we got her, we adopted her right around or right after the 9-11 trauma. Every night that little dog took her place on the floor, on her pillow, in the corner, next to my bed. I have a precious memory of one particular middle of the night when one of Florida's ferocious summer storms suddenly struck with the brightest of lightnings and the loudest of thunder that literally shook the house. And suddenly... I was jolted by something more than the storm. Very uncharacteristically for shy Libby, she took a flying leap in the dark and snuggled tightly, burying her eyes and ears under my arm. Within minutes, the storm passed by. As quick as it came, it was gone. And I realized that Libby at that moment, had a distinct advantage over my own ability to get back to sleep. She was peacefully snoring. And let me tell you, she was still in that same position by the first rays of the morning light. She lifted her head and looked at me as though she was thinking, how did I get here in the master's bed? But Libby taught me something about my own need when the storm rages and how sweet it can be to rest securely in the fact that my life, according to Paul in our text, is hidden with Christ in God. By the way, do you see the double security there? 
we know that Christ is as much God as the Father and that Christ is as much God as the Holy Spirit is God. But Paul takes pains to say our life is hidden with Christ, that's God, in God, the Father, who is God. I can tell you that all three persons of the one true God are for us. It doesn't get any more secure than that. By the way, over the uh, headboard of my bed is a rather sizable piece of artwork with just words beautifully printed. And the words are, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised, perfect peace and rest. It was given to me by my missionary sister when she was serving the Lord in Chad. In those days, a very dangerous and difficult place. Many years later now, when she writes me a letter or sends me an email, she always signs off with the words, Stayed upon Jehovah, love, sis. This week I read the story of Bruce Olson, who had served for 28 years as a missionary with the Motoloni Indians of Columbia, a primitive aboriginal tribe. In 1988, while Bruce Olson uh, was serving there among his Indian friends, he was kidnapped. He was captured by the ELN, the Communist-inspired National Liberation Army in Colombia. For ten months, Bruce sought to help his captors by teaching them to improve their diets and caring for them medically with what little supplies were available. Then he was even given an opportunity to teach God's Word to the guerrillas during his captivity. And a number of them professed faith in Christ. All the while, the guerrilla leaders sought to lure Bruce into their political camp. He refused, of course, even when being tortured. Finally, the leaders declared within his hearing that Bruce must die. The night before the scheduled execution... Though his body was now weak from the persecutions and the sickness, Bruce found himself experiencing an extraordinary peace. He thought of himself as, quote, hidden with Christ in God. So that the physical and emotional distress he faced could not seem to touch him in the deeper parts of his soul. During the night, a jungle bird kept singing a tune that reminded him of how the Motoloni friends sang of the death and resurrection of Christ. And a peace, a deep, inexplainable peace swept over him. As he stood before a firing squad, a reluctant one at that, he found himself at peace. They raised their rifles, 
and he awaited the slugs piercing his body. And there was a loud bang, several loud bangs, but nothing happened. Blanks had been issued, evidently in an effort to move him into submission. But he never budged. He was hidden in the hollow of the Lord's hand. And it is that kind of peace, the reality of this truth, that keeps the believer going forward in spiritual growth. The one who keeps on keeping on seeking those things which are above. The one whose mind is set, whose affections are already there, can not be ultimately shaken by anything in the here and the now. We have time only to say something brief about verse 4. But what a thought to leave you with today. I quote again, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now this, remember, is that answer to Jesus' own prayer, that we would be where He is forever and ever. For now, we do keep our feet upon the earth. But nothing should keep us from having our heads and our hearts fixed already on home, Beulah land, where Christ is. If your trust is in Christ, someday you will actually, physically, with new body, be there. The question that remains in the here and the now, the question today for every day is whether or not your heart and mind are already abiding in your true home. I heard this uh, very week of an old godly woman whose age began to take its toll on her ability to remember things. In her lifetime, she had once memorized whole portions of God's Word, hiding its truth in her heart and keeping her mind set on things above. But after some time, we are told that only one precious portion of Scripture stayed with her. And it was this. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, the day of the coming of Christ. By and by, parts of that text slipped its hold and she could only quietly, faintly repeat one line of it. That which I have committed unto him. That which I have committed unto him. At last, she hovered on the borderline between this world and the one to come. And in her last day, her loved ones noticed her lips moving. They bent down to see if she needed anything. She was repeating over and over again the only word she could remember out of that larger text. It was the word, Him. 
I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. And she remembered that it was him, him, him. But when you think about it, she really had the whole Bible and all of its promises in that one word. Him. Beloved, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.